is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! Are you ready for a break? Uh, yes. Are you ready for a break? Absolutely. Ready for a break? Yeah, and um, so much for that. It's time for The Break on DallasCowboys.com. We were on the break! With Nick Eatman, David Hellman, Ambar Garcia, and Derek Eagleton. It was. It is Wednesday, June 10th, 2020, season 16, episode number 13. Welcome to another edition of The Break. We are live from the virtual SWBC Mortgage Studios in each of our homes around the Metroplex. And today we got a special guest joining us. Nick's not here with us, but we got Isaiah Stanback, uh, currently of another podcast, uh, Talking Cowboys, that I'm sure you guys have hopefully uh, been checking out. But Isaiah, great to have you on. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we also got my normal crew here, Amber Garcia, David Hellman. We got a lot to talk about today. And uh, this is going to be our final show uh, of the offseason this year. We're going to take a little hiatus as we do every uh, offseason in the month of June and heading into July. And then we'll kick things back up uh, late July when we get into training camp. How's everybody doing today? Doing good, man. I'm great, Derek. Good to see you. (laughs) You too, man. You too. It's not the first time I've seen you. I actually got to see you last week in person, which was, was different. Uh, yeah. Dave and I both were at a, a protest in downtown, so I got an opportunity to spend a little time with Dave. And uh, of course, we were, you know, was, you're trying to keep your distance as we should right now, but it was still yeah. a good, good opportunity to see you. I've gotten really good at like the elbow hello, you know, like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have at this point. Um, let's, let's jump right in. Um, it's, it's, I'll start with, with a topic that seems to be something that's uh, kind of a. Uh, kind of fun I guess at this point uh, as long as we've all been quarantined it's, it's great news when we start hearing that that football is showing signs of life and uh, what we heard as of last Friday is that coaches are now being allowed back in the building so the coaches are now back at the star uh, coach McCarthy is in the, in the building um, and the question I have for you guys is how much do you think that their inability to be in the building all this time has affected their ability uh, to, to not only get off to a good start as far as understanding and knowing the environment, but also just growing chemistry between the coaching staff. It's, it's very different when you've got glass between you and you're talking via WebEx or you're talking on phone as opposed to being able to have contact with one another, at least even if it's at a distance, being able to see people's faces as you're talking to, to them. How much do you think that's affecting this coaching staff, which is a brand-new coaching staff? Let's start with you, Isaiah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's probably going to affect these guys a little bit, but these guys are professionals. I mean, this is probably one of the more experienced coaching staffs around the league, uh, I would have to say. And, you know, these guys would be perfectly fine, especially uh, with, with what Coach McCarthy has done over the last year, right? He's been working with primarily a majority of these guys already. So they're very familiar with themselves, um, with, each, with each other, and it's pretty much just a, a surroundings thing at this point, right? I think more so than anything, it's going to be an effect in terms of getting in front of these guys face-to-face, being able to coach them, um, you know, man-to-man instead of just having to worry about this virtual wall um, as, as you just mentioned Amber well like he said I mean the good thing about this coaching staff is that they are experienced you know that these are guys that have many many years of experience and not your usual cowboy staff of new hires that are basically brand new in the job so that that's good now as far as being 
in person, yes, obviously that's going to help anytime you're trying to communicate with somebody, but it's, it's still interesting because I know there's a certain amount of people that are only allowed back in the building. You still have to keep your distance. So there's still a lot of things that, a, a lot of protocol that are taking place. So you still not really getting that full on contact and having a bunch of people together in one same room. So still, I think that, that they're still gonna be doing a lot, of, a lot of virtual things. I still don't know how all these protests and everything that's going on in the country is gonna affect the whole virus and, and spreading it back up again and how that's gonna play a role into everything that that we continue doing in the country and in the NFL and just, is that gonna mess up phase one? I don't know, well, only time will tell, but the good thing is experience here. Dave. I'm actually, I'm, I'm totally with Isaiah. Like there's a bunch of stuff to be worried about you know, they don't have a lot of, you know, time with their players. They don't have any time on grass. They don't 100% know what they're working with. I mean, at this point in a regular year, these coaches would have had, you know, 10, 11, 12 practices. They don't have that. But your question, the coaching staff itself, I'm not worried about that at all. And that's that's a benefit of what Mike McCarthy did, right? I mean, he he basically hired a bunch of guys he's worked with a lot. He knows Joe Philbin really well. He knows Mike Nolan really well. Jim Tom Sula, they go way back. Al Harris played for him, uh, the defensive backs coach. Um, there's a lot of you know familiarity on this coaching staff, and on top of that, we can all attest these guys were in the building constantly from the day they got hired until the day everything shut down. Uh, you know, before they even had places to live in Dallas, they were living in the hotel and spending 8, 10, 12 hours at the Star every day for at least two months. So I'm not remotely worried about that. I'm just worried about, you know, how that pertains to their work with the players who they obviously have not seen. Okay, so let's move into something that maybe will cause a little bit more trepidation. Training camp now has been, uh, or the NFL reportedly has told teams that they will be required to have their training camps at their home facilities, which means for the first time in a very, very long time, I can't recall a time since I've been with the Cowboys in 20 years that we haven't had at least part of training camp in another location. So my question for you guys is how much does the, uh, the, the, the idea of them being in Frisco and not picking up the team, moving them to California, where they're isolated from their families, their friends, their normal routines, and can only think football and only do football 24-7, how much do you think that affects the team chemistry, uh, especially coming off a situation where, as you said, Dave, they have not been on grass, they've not been working out in the offseason as they normally do. How much do you think that affects them? And, Dave, I'll start with you. Um, I, I can think of I, – I can go both ways, honestly, because, I mean – being at your facility, I, I don't buy it because going on the road for training camp is it's an old it's outdated at this point. The Cowboys are one of ten teams in the NFL that travels for training camp. The vast majority of teams in the league stay at their facility, uh, and you know if they if they sequester in a hotel, they do it for like half of camp, if that. Um, and it doesn't seem to bother anybody. Having said that. Um, cramming everything that you need to do for a training camp into the facility sounds difficult. Um, obviously, you know, you only have one outdoor field and it's only going to be tenable to practice on it early in the morning or late in the evening. Like, you, you can't go out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Dallas the way that you can in Oxnard, California. On top of that, 
the star is great. Like it is phenomenal. It's well built. It's state of the art. But it's not really meant for ninety players. Uh, that locker room gets crowded during training camp. Like they have overflow locker rooms for the rookies. They got guys <laughs> doubling up on each other, uh, and that's with no social distancing guidelines. Like it is cramped during training camp at the star when everything's normal. So now you're factoring in six feet of distance and you got to go a certain way down the hallway to be safe. And that just, it sounds like a logistical nightmare to me. Isaiah, as a, as a guy that's a former player who's had some experience with this and, and knowing the benefits probably of both sides of staying at your facility because you've played with other teams and then also traveling, do you think there are advantages one way or the other uh, staying at home or going on the road for training camp. Yeah, I think the, the primary reason why most coaches, you know, who are at least the ten coaches that are still deciding to go off site uh, with their, with their teams, like to do so is because they like to make them uncomfortable. Training camp is supposed to be uncomfortable. Training camp is supposed to be <laughs> the part, the, the the part that you dislike most, right? Most guys retire because they don't want to go back to training camp, right? So, I mean, that's that's what the coaches like. They want to make you uncomfortable. They want to put you in that situation where you're having to worry about all those things, right? I can't see my family. I can't go do what I want to do. I can't just hop in my car and. and head you know head to grab something to eat like they want that environment because they want you focused on ball right for those four to six weeks whatever it is now all right they want you focused on ball and you know i don't think it's as big as a deal as, as most people are probably presenting right now I, I was when i was with the cowboys i went to san antonio i went to oxnard right i went to both of those places so i'm familiar with how that works um but it's not that big of a deal, right? At the, at the end of the day, I think it's more of a benefit to be on site at your facility, especially with this new regime, right? You got a whole new coaching staff, right? You got a, you had a handful of new players, right? And they're coming in. You need as much familiarity as possible um, in terms of guys during their off time, right? My, my availability, my ability to be able to call my massage therapist, to be able to go to get some extra treatment, you know, with my person of my choice, aside from the amazing training staff that the Cowboys have, you know, those things matter. Right, and those things are going to help, especially as I start talking about like soft tissue injuries that are going to present themselves in the, in the first part of training camp. Those things are going to happen, so having access to your people um, is important. In terms of families, families were always at training camp, right? You don't have much time to be spending with your time with, with your family. You know, there's FaceTime, there's all these other ways in which you can talk to your fam, but. Those, those are some long days now. I mean, those are like 5.30 a.m. to like 11 p.m. days. So you're not missing much. <laughs> you're not missing much. So it's awesome that they're on site. I was hoping that they were, were going to choose to do so anyways. I'm glad that the league mandated it. Um, but they have literally the best facility probably in, in, in the whole league. So I'm glad they're here. Amber. Well, Derek, I see that you did not listen to our show last week when you were out. You did not go back and play and listen to it because we talked about it. But wow. you know what? <laughs> now that, that, that I'm thinking about it. You remember I told you before it. we started, Isaiah? You remember I told you before we started? Yeah, this is, yeah, this yeah. is that. Like, yeah. this is Amber. Yeah. <laughs> Great support to your own show, Derek. <laughs> no, but um, now that I, that I was thinking about it, you know what? Like, Good thing is that the Cowboys don't have Jason Garrett back because Mike McCarthy, he, he's not used to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mike McCarthy is just not used to having the luxury of going to Oxnard, California. So it's not something that he's like now having to come back and say, man, how am I going to do this? This is brand new to him anyways. So I don't think it should be... Too bad for them, honestly, aside from the heat and all that. But when we're at training camp out in Oxnard, you know, they still have the team divided. 
separately onto two fields. It's gonna suck for us because back then we can just easily just decide what we look at, but now we're gonna have to be moving around depending on who we're wanting to look, whether go outside or come back inside. So that's gonna be tricky for us as far as the media and wanting to cover everything that is happening on the field during training camp. But in general, I honestly don't think it's gonna be as bad as I originally thought. Okay, let's, uh, Isaiah, you actually mentioned a little something about soft tissue injuries, and I, I wanna yeah. real quick get some opinions on that. I mean, um, what, what, what makes you think that that's going to be something that people can expect maybe to see more, and how concerned are you about that? Yeah, so, I mean, as a professional athlete, you're going to do everything possible to prepare to the best of your ability, right? So guys are training like crazy. They have their trainers. They have their programs that they're going through. They're doing an off-season training program. That's awesome. However, it's not real ball, right? So the first time that these guys touch the field, they're going to, they're going to be literally up against another person pressing against them. 250-pound man, 300-pound man. They're going to be pressing against these guys, right? So when you start doing that, when you start hitting different angles, your, your body is not used to that. They ha it hasn't done it in a while. So you're going to be subject to those injuries. You're going to be subject to those those, those initial flare-ups until your body is used to that tension, until your body is used to that kind of resistance. Um, it's, just, it's just a part of the game. It's just unfortunately these guys don't have the time to really come back from those things right now because if any soft tissue injury that there is or any injuries in general that we have is going to be detrimental to us because there's just not enough time to get back in terms for the season. Dave, how concerned are you that? I, I mean, yes, that's it's obviously very concerning. Be, again, absolutely agreed. Like, you can't underestimate how how much these guys lose by not having a traditional off season program. And it's funny because that was the way it was for you know the first 30, 40 years of of NFL history. I mean, you know, back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, these guys didn't have these intense off season programs, <laughs> but that. That's how these guys have been conditioned all the way up from, you know, junior high and high school ball. So I think it is something they're going to have to watch out for. Although, you know, NFL teams already do this where they kind of ease guys in with non-contact stuff. I would imagine we're going to see more of that. Um, not to go down a wormhole, but like what concerns me more is how you do this and maintain COVID protocols, um, you know, whether it's getting guys tested, making sure they're not exposing themselves to people that, that could have symptoms, you know, whether that's people in their own family or the people that they encounter on a regular basis. I mean, are fans going to be allowed to be part of this? You're going to have players like uh, get, signing autographs with people that they don't know where they've been. Uh, that's the stuff that gets back, you know, that makes me question how all this is going to work is especially, you know, we talked about Oxnard. It's kind of easy to self-contain, but if these guys are going home to their, you know, kids who have been at school or, you know, their wives and girlfriends have been out doing what, running errands all day, like who knows? I'm just very curious about how you mitigate the risks of, of spreading the virus. Yeah, D, I think I think most most people need to know that when you go to camp, right? So when you go off site, you're in a hotel, right? Or you're in some kind of dorm, right? And even when you're on site, even when you're at doing camp in your own city at your facilities, you're still in, in a hotel. Right, they're still locking you up, and I think even with this COVID stuff, usually you go like four weeks, and then like the last two or three weeks of camp, you get to go home early. I don't see these guys going home early, 
right? I'd see these guys being locked up in a hotel all day. Um, well, not all day. They're going to be at, at practice all day, and then they'll probably just transition straight into the Omni or whatever else is close uh, to the facility, and they will not be allowed to go home. Their families will be able to kind of practice every so often, I'm sure, but that's going to be it, man. Better get used to this virtual virtual visiting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it, it'll be very interesting to see how the, the Cowboys and really every team adapts to this new reality, which is, you know, they do have to be aware of, of their players. And, and you know, there, there are probably all kinds of scenarios that are being, you know, talked about as far as who's going to get access to players and how do they keep the players isolated as much as possible and how do they keep the players from, from doing having too much contact with one another because obviously you're going to have the football contact, but... Um, you know, it, it goes to, to also, I assume, you know, you get it's, it's, it's kind of like what I was saying about Friday when I saw you, Dave. Like my first inclination was to come over and give you a big hug or dap you up or something. And, yep. and you, it's just not the same. Right. And, and so you get all these guys, 90 guys, and a lot of them know each other and know each other really, really well. And you put them in a room together and they haven't seen each other in a while in person. There's going to be a natural inclination that as time goes on, they're going to feel more and more comfortable and they're going to forget about fact that they have to be socially distanced and so that that's going to be one of the challenges of this whole thing is making sure that someone is aware and making sure the players continuously aware that they have to be socially distanced and don't get so comfortable the way you you break down all those things that that are the uh, things that you're supposed to do uh we're gonna go ahead and take out go ahead amber I was just gonna say that these locker rooms are dirty to begin with so imagine (laughs) I mean, imagine now when there is a virus going around and, and then just using different things like in the restroom when they go shower. Like, is there going to be someone that just comes, wipes everything down after each use or what's going to happen? There are a lot of water bottles and things like that that just kind of get passed around a lot. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they, they handle the whole situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I would bet that the NFL will have protocols that they stipulate across every team that teams will have to do certain things in order to be able to ensure that they're being as uh, creating an environment that's as safe for the employees, including the, the players, as possible. And so, yeah, I think they're, they're you know, there's going to – whatever you pay in your in your cleaning bill, it's about to go up. Because <laughs> there are going to be more and more people that are going to have to be involved in making sure things are sterilized as they're being used to ensure that – uh, that employees and, and, and players are, are, keeping, are kept in a safe environment. We're going to go and take our first break. When we come back, I have a little game for you guys. We're going to do a little over and under. We're going to have some players and uh, some offensive skill players. I'm going to throw out some numbers for you guys and have you tell me whether you think they're going to be over or under in the 2020 season. We'll do that when we come right back. This is DallasCowboys.com. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too much? Right above the subway. Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus. A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's best network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score September 2019. Do you want the most interesting, up-to-the-minute Dallas Cowboys news straight from the star in Frisco? How about exclusive and on command? That's right, news and nuggets you can't find anywhere else. With our exclusive Cowboys content on Alexa, you can have all the answers, secrets, stories, and more. What's Stephen Jones thinking during a game? What's Joe Looney's favorite pregame meal? We take your questions to Cowboys players and coaches, and you can hear the answers directly back to you. Just 
Just say Alexa, open Dallas Cowboys. Whether you're into being a part of this or more into something like this, SeatGeek has the tickets to the events you love. It's the easiest way to find, buy, and sell tickets. Plus, with their deal score technology, they'll recommend the best seats in the house at the best value. So the next time you're craving this, download the SeatGeek app and let's go. Seeky. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again for tailgating with the Otterbox boys. Otterbox, the company that builds wildly overproductive phone cases? The one and only. But cases are just the start. Otterbox is the official outfitter of tailgating. If they can keep my phone safe, what can they do for my parking lot party? How about protecting your beverages from suboptimal drinking temperatures with their elevation tumblers? And Otterbox elevation tumblers come in three sizes. A 10-ouncer, a 20-ouncer, and even a 64-ounce growler. Check out all the colors and sizes of their elevation tumblers at otterbox.com back to the break welcome back to the break we're live from the virtual swbc mortgage studios in our homes uh we're talking a little bit about cowboys today it's our final show before we head to our little hiatus that we do every off season uh, in the month of june so um hopefully hopefully we've been, we've done a good job of being able to keep you guys engaged during this uh, this uh, quarantine, uh, but we'll be taking a little bit, bit of a break here, and uh, we'll start back up when training camp begins. Make sure you stay tuned to DallasCowboys.com for more information on dates, uh, when training camp will start, and when we'll be re, uh, starting restarting all of our podcasts. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. We got a little game here. It's called Over or Under. I'm gonna throw out some names of different offensive skill positions. I'm gonna throw out some different statistics uh, for each of them, and then I'm gonna give you a particular statistic. Or a couple of statistics on each player um, that, and then I'll ask you guys to tell me whether you think it'll be over. They'll be over or under that number in the 2020 season. Let's first look at Dak Prescott. Last season, his numbers were up dramatically with regards to total yards. In 17, he was at 3,324 yards. 18, 3,885 yards, and last year jumped all the way to 4,902 passing yards. First question I have for you guys is. What do you think was the biggest difference that you can pinpoint as to why his numbers jumped so much last year from the previous year? Let's start with you, Amber. Biggest difference? Um, I think that having John Kidna honestly helped him a lot. Just having a different coach and, and developing his, his skills. I think that once they were able to figure out the whole wide receiver group, you know, forget about the whole by committee thing that they were trying out. Just having a set of wide receivers, this is what we have, this is what we're doing, and then allowing Dak to build that connection with them and getting comfortable with them helped a lot. Um, as far I mean, if we're looking at 2020, is it going to be over or under type of stuff? I want to ask you this first. Does he have a, a deal made or is he playing under the franchise? Well, I'll ask you that question back. Do you think that his deal has anything to do with how he will perform this year? Uh, well, I think that depending on what the deal ends up being, whether he signs a multi-year deal or he plays under the franchise, it's going to reflect back on how he plays. Because every time we say it all the time, when these guys get a big deal, then that year, it's like they don't end up performing at the level that we expect them 
to perform in, you know? So it's like, I, I think that I want to get my hopes up as far as him just being better, especially under this new coaching staff, and then having, again, the wide receivers hopefully developing even into something better, you know, um, Michael Gallup being a better player this year, having CeeDee Lamb on the team and helping out in that way as well, Amari Cooper hopefully, hopefully becoming a more constant player that can help Dak and as far as also the the tight end position Blake Jarwin I do I do expect him to do a lot better this year because he's been evolving as well so if all of that is in place I do expect Dak to be able to play better and hopefully they can this new coaching staff is able to help him with his skills have him run more get out of the pocket be more more physical more active obviously you don't always want that with a quarterback but he does have the skill and he can make it happen now we need to see what happens on the pressure moment i really don't know if it's all because of dak or the fact that jason garrett was directing the team at the time because a lot of players a lot of people i mean a lot of fans when they when you're discussing dak prescott they want to bring back oh is he's not clutch he can't play at the last minute of those opposing teams that you need to win the game from you know so it, it I, I just think that a new voice he's going to be able to to play well this year isaiah i can tell that you disagree with part of what amber <laughs> was saying so i'll go to you next and talk a little bit about that specifically from the standpoint of whether the deal will make a difference if it got with regards to how he plays this season Absolutely. So, Amber, no, no, no disrespect, but I'm going to tell you the two. The Bring it. Let me hear it. Let me hear no it. There's two reasons why he balled out last year. Number one, it was time to get paid. All right? When it's time to get paid, your game steps up, right? You got a little bit more juice in you, right? Because you know that you're expecting that check, and you have to perform because that is the season that they're going to look at. They're not going to look at the seasons before. They're looking at that season leading up to that payday. So, that's A, all right? Part B is we were playing from behind a lot. Right, we didn't have a great season. We did not have a great season, right? The team did not do that well. So when you when you're having to force those points, right, what are you doing? You're unable to run the ball. Right? When you're unable to run the ball, you're unable to control the clock, which means that you're playing from behind, which means you need to throw the rock. Right? So it allowed for those greater, those bigger plays. It allowed for him to throw the ball substantially more than he did the prior the years before, pre existing. So those are the two reasons why I that I point to in terms of why he performed that way last year. Now in terms of this year and what we can expect out of him this year, think about somebody like Kirk Cousins, right? who kept kept playing on doggone franchise tags, right? So You're going to ball out. If he's on a franchise tag, he's going to ball. Why? Because guess what? I can't afford to get hurt, right? And I know that, again, it's just like you're on a contract year again, right? So when it's time to talk money again, I have to ball out, right? If he is underneath the contract, guess what? He's going to show out just because what? Because I know everybody's looking at me now because they just gave me all this money. But But with that understood, I think that his numbers go down this year. Right, I think his numbers go down. So as we talk about over under D, I, I think his numbers go down because he doesn't need to do as much. He doesn't need to do as much. He has more people around him, right? He has more weapons than he had last year, and the defense is substantially better than it was last year. So with that understood, these guys are going to be in a position to be able to run the ball substantially more. I know we're getting a freaky Zeke here in a little bit, but Zeke's going to his numbers will definitely go up because they were they'll be trying to control the game and control the clock, and they won't be forced to have to throw the ball even though he does have more weapons. But you hey. see, okay, oh, hold on, real quick. Uh-huh. To me. Forget about stats. To me, just go. <laughs> <laughs> Can you 
can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. You good. Oh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Just wanted to say this. To me, forget forget about stats. Like me, I, I don't look at stats that much. I really don't care. I just look at the actual performance and, and the feel of the game and how they were doing in the game to me. Last year, in my own perspective, I don't think Dak played that well. He wasn't that great in my eyes. So that's why I expect him to be better this year, regardless of the situation. So that that's I, I am saying this opinion based off my own views <laughs> of every single game and not stats. Screw stats. For sure. I want them to win games. He needs to win freaking games at the end of those two minute warning. Two minute warning. You need to make the pass and make it happen. I feel so you. Amber, you Amber is going to represent the eye test people for us on this show. That's good to know. Like, don't mind what all of these numbers say about how good the quarterback is. I will decide how good he actually is. I'm glad we've established this. <laughs> glad, glad we've established. Um, no, I I completely yeah. agree. I completely agree with Isaiah for whatever it's worth. Um, if Dak flirts with 5,000 yards this year. They probably aren't that good of a team, and they weren't that good of a team last year. Um, he's absolutely right. Go look at most of Dak's gaudiest games. They were behind. They fell down. They fell behind by three scores against Green Bay. You have to throw your way out of it. They were down, uh, whatever it was, twenty-four to seven against Buffalo. Chicago built up a big lead. These are all games where he went over three hundred. Green Bay, I think he threw for four forty. And the other thing. Seven times last year, as a team, the Cowboys failed to average four yards per carry. Seven times. And that is not an indictment on Zeke Elliott or the Cowboys' offensive line. It's an indictment on their coaching staff for being very boring, very uncreative, rushing up the gut on first and ten and second and long all of the time. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'll I'll talk about it until I'm blue in the face. The Vikings could do nothing with Dak Prescott in that game last year. They could not stop him. And the Cowboys ran on first down 78% of the time anyway because their coaches were either bored or scared. I don't know which, but it's unforgivable. <laughs> um, and they, they can't afford to do that. They've got to use their running game more creatively. they got to utilize play action better. Um, but you can do all of that. And, and like I said, I mean, if, that, if Dak is – flirting with 5,000 yards, then they're not balanced enough to be successful. Um, yep. So, if, I mean, I don't remember the original question. Hopefully it's under. Hopefully Dak throws for like 4,200. <laughs> 4,200 feels like a sweet spot to me. I like it. Alright, so we got we got basically three unders. Is that right, Amber? Were you under as well? Or no. You, over? you said over. No, I, I said over because to me well, it's a it's sorry just keep going this is a very, <laughs> the point is i don't look at stats i just want him i want to see him play well don't give me stats he, he to me he can do better this year and be under those stats you know so yeah. that, that's the thing to me it's like i think he will be better this year he might not go over those kinds of stats but he might be better this year overall in other words you don't like my game yeah, yeah, and Amber says he throws for 500 yards, and we go, we go, you know, 13 and three. We're good. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> Which, we'll that's, that's, right. that's so, so that's, so, that's so lazy. I'm sorry. I, okay, that's okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. All right, let's go. To, let's go to Zeke Elliott. Last year, the 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 stat that stuck out to me was his receptions number. And I remember yeah. when he first got here, one of the things that 
that we were so disappointed in in his first year was that they really didn't use him in the passing game. He had 32 catches his first year, 26 in his second year. By his third year, he jumped to 77, and last year he had 54. Um, so my, my question for you is, at that level where he was last year, 54 receptions, do you think they were utilizing him enough in the passing game, or do you think they should be doing more there? Let's start with you, Isaiah. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I think I think it falls right back into the same conversation we just had, right? In terms of some of the situations that they were forced into, right? They were forced to throw the ball to get back into games, and I don't think that you want to be. I don't think that you want to talk about Zeke in, in the mindset that that you want to throw him the ball, right? That's that's not the conversation that you want to have when you when you're referencing Zeke. You want to be able to do what we did a couple years ago and just hand the ball to Zeke and just know that hey, he's coming at you downhill, and it really doesn't matter what you do on the other side of the ball. We're going four or five yards a pop, right? That's the conversation you want with Zeke. You you want to take the conversation as far as passing to Pollard, right? That's the person you want to be talking about. So can Zeke catch? Absolutely. Should Zeke be catching, you know, 70 passes uh, per year? Heck to the no. That's not what you want. You want him toting that rock. You want him consistently rushing for 100 yards a game. You want the offensive linemen feeling like they're bullies out there and let those other three receivers and Jarwin do what they do because we have enough weapons now for guys that can catch the rock. Helmer. Yeah, I'm, I mean, if you listen to this show for any length of time, you know that I've whined about Zeke's lack of a role in the passing game for years. And and honestly, a lot of that is, is creativity, again, going back to the coaches, because Zeke caught 77 passes, I think, in 2018. Like, he caught a lot of balls. Correct. But it... But it was all it was dump offs and and boring stuff like not getting into the open field, not getting downfield, uh, not a very creative way to utilize your running back. Having said all of this, I again agree with Isaiah because I don't want Zeke catching targets that should be going to C.D. Lamb, Blake Jarwin, or even Tony Pollard. Like get get those guys involved, and if you have to put two backs on the field on occasion to make it work, that's fine. I really, again, I'll use the term sweet spot. Like, for Zeke, I'm thinking between 25 and 35 catches is plenty for him. Like, you don't need to take any more targets away from better receiving options. And it's it's not that he's bad. He's he's a fine receiver, but there are better receivers who could take those targets. Options. Yeah. Amber. Um, I don't have much to add to what you guys said. <laughs> I, I'm right on with you guys. I just think that they do need to do it enough to where it does keep that element for defenses to kind of keep an eye on and be aware that they can do that with Zeke and that he can be utilized that way and just kind of keep defenses on their toes. But with all these other receiving guys, they just find the right balance for him and and Zeke is such a great runner and I do want them to utilize him more in the running game together with Tony Pollard so um, yeah I think the spot that Dave said that sweet spot right there kind of works for me as well sounds like everybody's on the under on that uh, under 54 catches for Zeke Elliott let's move on to Amari Cooper in 2019 it was his best statistical year of his career in almost every category. He had 79 receptions, 1,189 yards, and he had eight touchdowns. So my question for you guys is, can he maintain that type of production after they've added a guy like CeeDee Lamb and, by the way, a Michael Gallup who seems to be improving every year? Do you expect him to be able to maintain those numbers in 2020? Let's start with Dave. So here's the thing. I actually, uh, for our TV show, The Blitz, a couple weeks ago, I 
I really looked at the math of like how you can divvy up all of these targets. Um, and I mean, over the course of his career, whether it was Dez, whether it was Amari, uh, Dak has done a pretty good job at getting his number one receiver targets. Like, it's hard for me to imagine Amari having less than, let's say, 75, 80 catches. And that's not a lot by number one receiver standards. I get that because, you know, number one receivers, you know, what? Mike Thomas caught like 200 passes last year. Mike Thomas doesn't have <laughs> nearly as many options on his offense as as Amari Cooper Absolutely. does. And and that's, you know, I'll I'll go with, with AG for a sec because I think people get so fixated on catches. I don't care as long as the offense is producing. And that's what... That's what Dak has said the whole time he's been here. He's like, I want to throw to the open guy. Well, between Amari, Gallup, uh, now CeeDee Lamb, again, Jarwin, and then the running backs, somebody's going to be open all the time. Um, so I, I don't need Amari to, like, catch 100 balls. Um, but I do think he'll probably, you know, it'll be somewhere between 75 and 85, and that's perfectly fine. I don't have a problem with that at all because if Dak's doing his job the right way, he'll be divvying everything else up among everyone else. Amber. Well, I expect it to be pretty similar to last year. And just because, going back to what I remember, all those away games, he was terrible. He just completely disappeared. So if you take that in and you balance it out and say, okay, now he's playing better on the road, and then now he's not as great at home, you know, that creates some kind of balance there when it comes to his stats. So I expect it to be kind of similar if he's able to play better on the road. All right. You know, that actually brings up an interesting point, Isaiah, that I want to ask you because you came to the NFL as a quarterback. You spent some time at receiver. I'd like to hear from you specifically uh, on how much can being on the road affect or what are the things that on the road can affect a wide receiver? Or was this just a situation where, just for whatever reason, whether it was just he played better teams that knew how to, how to, how to cover him on the road and that was just happenstance, like what do, you, what do you attribute all that to as being a guy that's actually played receiver in the NFL? Yeah, it, it, that was just a, one of those things. It was just one of those flings, man. Unfortunately, he didn't perform that well on the road. It happens. Some guys don't perform that well at home, right? I mean, I think I, mean, I, remember, I, think I remember the Cowboys not doing so well at home at some point in time, but they won away games, right? So it, it is what it is, man. There's, there's nothing that people can point to and say, oh, this is why. I'm sure that's something that's in the back of his head, but at the end of the day, as, a, as an athlete, as a player, you know, hey, I just didn't do that well. I just got to figure it out, right? I can't have these ups and downs. You need, I'd rather be consistent than have all these spikes, right? These dips and valleys. So, um, but in terms of, you know, do we want Coop, you know, doing what he did last year? Heck to the no. You don't want him doing what he did last year, right? You don't, he doesn't have to anymore, right? Yes, he has $100 million, right? But you're paying him $100 million for those couple plays a game that he actually shows out. You don't need him showing out the whole game, right? You just, you don't, he's, he's not Julio. He's not Julio. Let's, let's just be real, right? He's not Julio. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not ODB. He's not any of those guys, right? So you don't rely, you don't want to rely on Coop to be this, uh, this magnificent, just, just, you know, a guy who can route up anybody. Coop is a, is a deep threat. That's what he is. Coop's a deep threat, right? And he has that go juice. He can run an in route. He can run a post. He can run a go, right? And you want him to be able to continue to do that, and you want to be able to run the ball enough, right, where those safeties start trying to creep down. You want to be able to throw the ball to Jarwin and CD and Gallup enough underneath coverage, right, so those guys start creeping up. And then what? You want you want Coop to have five receptions for, like, 125 in a tub. That's what you want Coop to do, right? And, and one of those plays is going to be a 60, 70-yard play. 
right? So four of those other catches are going to be, you know, within, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards. That's what you want Cook to do. You want him to just get those, okay, third down play, got you, third down play, got you, and then boom, big play. That's why you pay him $100 million. You don't need him putting up those numbers like he did last time because this, is, this should be a substantially more well-balanced offense than it's ever been. That's kind of what I was getting right, at, too. Uh, just real quick, it's, it's no, kind of what I was getting at is, like, I can just I can imagine, you know, six weeks into the season, people are like, oh, my God, the Cowboys are paying Amari $20 million a year, and he's, he's only done this. As long as as long as the offense is humming, I don't care. Like you're paying Amari Cooper, right. you're paying him to make plays. You're also paying him to open up the field for everybody else, right? Like if the opposing defense is committed to slowing him down and he has a bad day, but C.D. Lamb or Michael Gallup or both of them are just killing everybody, I don't care. And I feel like people get fixated on the money and feel like you you gotta have a yeah. hundred yard day every week if you're making that much money. I'm sorry about your fantasy football team, but I do not care. If the offense is balanced and humming, Amari can do whatever the hell he wants to. Yeah, and that's a great point, Dave, because we've seen it so many times around here with the Cowboys, and it probably happens all around the league. One player, a player plays the exact same way, but as soon as that check comes in, fans have a different expectation of them. And I would suspect this year it's probably going to be that way for, for him. If Dak gets a new deal, there's going to be, best believe there are going to be different expectations, at least from fans. And, and the good thing for the Cowboys is that Amari Cooper doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that's affected by what other people think. So he's not the kind of guy that seems to be deterred there. Where some guys do get in their head and then they start pressing and they start pushing to get more opportunities because they feel like they got to quiet the people that are the detractors. But That's, let's go ahead and take our final break. When we come back, I have a – go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I just Amari, – Amari's not that guy. He never has been. Uh, week two last year, <laughs> they, they he caught five balls for 40 yards. They won easily. And he was the happiest guy in the locker room. Um, and so, and that's that's exactly what you need. Um, there's only like two receivers in the league who catch 10 balls for 100 yards every week. And it's like it's Hopkins and Julio. And it's not a big deal yep. if Amari can't match that. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> and I just thought about the fact that Hopkins got traded for basically a bag of mm. M&Ms. But anyway, Woo! let's not get into that. Let's go take that <laughs> final break. We'll, we'll come back. We'll come back, and we got a few more guys. We're going to talk about C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Blake Jarwin, and Tony Pollard. We'll do that when we come right back. This is DallasCowboys.com Radio. Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys? Jack Black. Right now, you can get the Jack Black Starter, a curated collection of Cowboys locker room favorites for just 10 bucks with free shipping. The starter includes four Jack Black skincare favorites plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm. Go to getjackblack.com slash cowboys and use the code word TEAMJB. That's getjackblack.com slash cowboys. The Jack Black Starter, 10 bucks. Free shipping! Whether you're into being a part of this, or more into something like this, SeatGeek has the tickets to the events you love. It's the easiest way to find, buy, and sell tickets. Plus, with their deal score technology, they'll recommend the best seats in the house at the best value. So the next time you're craving this, download the SeatGeek app and let's go. SeatGeek. 
I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too... It's right above the subway! Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus! A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's Best Network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score, September 2019. Back to the break. Welcome back. Final segment of the break. We're live from the virtual SWBC Mortgage Studios. And uh, we are going through our, our game of over and under. We're talking about the offensive skill position for the Cowboy positions for the Cowboys. Uh, we're going to go to CeeDee Lamb next. And... This last year, I, I looked at Randall Cobb's numbers because obviously he was the third receiver last year. CD is projected to be one of three. Who knows where he'll fall in that line. Uh, but Randall Cobb had 55 receptions, 828 yards, and three touchdowns. My question for you guys is, is CD good enough right now to step in and be as productive as a veteran like Randall Cobb? Let's start with you, Isaiah. That's a, that's a heck of a question right there, D. Um, is he good enough right now? We don't know. We don't know. Um, college is one thing. NFL is a whole nother beast, right? And where we're, everybody's projecting him to be, right, is he possibly taking over that slot position. And that slot position, you got to be, you got to have enough tenacious, um, you know, attitude, got to have a little nasty to you to be able to go in there and, and dig out those safeties and hit some linebackers. And, you know, those things are those, that willingness is going to open up opportunities for you. So, I, I am interested and I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he performs once he touches the field. Um, another thing is how well he picks up this offense, right? There's, you know, when you when you have a guy that comes in, if he can pick up the offense and you have three guys out there that know exactly what every position does, then you can do whatever you want as an offensive coordinator. You can have a field day and you can force guys open, right? You can just get guys open. So if he's if he if yeah. he doesn't have that ability to come in and pick that up, then he's going to be limited to you know four or five routes, right? And then we're, we really don't know how productive he'll be. But um, in terms of talent wise, he has all the skill sets that you need, all the everything, every box that you want to check off for somebody that's going to come in and play that potential role. He has the skills. It's just really a matter of how fast he can really uh, come in and, and take on and adapt to this system. One thing I'll say is I'm, I'm very interested to see once we get to training camp. If the Cowboys use him as exclusively in the, in that slot role yeah, as they do with Randall, uh, Randall, or if they decide that they're going to between, because by the way, you know they got Amari Cooper. He knows how to, to work in the slot as well. Yep. Uh, I'm interested to see are they going to have are they going to try to create a, a situation with these receivers where all three can maybe play all three spots, yep. and then you're you're sliding guys around. That makes it very very difficult for defenses to account for guys and to be able to you know travel with guys and do some of the things that last year they were able to do in some games where they were able to shut Amari Cooper down. But let's go on, uh, Amber. Let's go to you next. Do you think he's going to be able to be as good as Randall Cobb in year one? Well, again, it's hard to tell for a rookie in their first year. Obviously, we haven't even seen a single practice or anything yet. But one thing that I do think will help him a lot is his height. 
especially at the slot position. Compared to Randall Cobb, I was just looking up his height. Randall is 5'10". C.D. Lamb is 6'2". So I think... Huh? <laughs> what you got against five ten? <laughs> well, we digging a hole. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Let me keep going. <laughs> With Sidney Lamb in his and being at six two, that's definitely. I mean, just by default, being taller, it's gonna help you in the game. Just help you with catching balls, hopefully, and just Dak having a better target height-wise, and being able to find the guy. So that's the only thing I can think of that it's beneficial at the position comparing to Randall Cobb last year. But you just never know how how a rookie is going to do in the first year. Dave? I don't know what's going to happen for sure, but I didn't come this far to come this far. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't drive the – draft a receiver at 17 bandwagon for three months and then like hop <laughs> off now that I'm not going to hop off now that football is getting close yes I think he can be better than Randall Cobb I think he's got NFC offensive rookie of the year do they do one for NFC and AFC or is it just the NFL I don't remember he's got offensive rookie of the year potential there's it's it's going to be hard for him to beat the quarterbacks you know Burrow maybe to uh, whatever but he's, he should be in the conversation. Like I said, I did I did the math on this a couple weeks ago, and I mean it's hard to it's hard to phase out all of the variables. But I think his absolute ceiling, I mean excuse me, floor, his absolute floor is like 35 catches. Like that is the baseline, and I think he could get as high as like 70. Throw in potential for punt returns. That's probably another 20, 25 touches on the season. I think he's got serious potential to, to do a lot of damage. Yes, I I mean, like I said, I know there's a lot of unknowns, but I think he can be better than Randall Cobb right away for sure. Indeed, to, to your point, just to piggyback off what you said about the guys being able to come in and learn the offense and be able to play different positions, it kind of reminds me of when I was playing with New England. right? When I was playing with the Patriots, there's no, no player on the Patriots plays one position. Except for, except for, you know, previously Tom Brady. That's the only person that played one position. Other than that, you played multiple positions. So, you know, myself, uh, Randy Moss, you know, Wes Welker, Joey Galloway, you know, we had all these guys, and you had, you were one play, you were outside, one play, you were totally on the opposite end, one play, you're in the slot, right? And that ability for the, the to give the offensive coordinators that flexibility to create those mismatches, to be able to line you up inside and bring a motion down inside, and you have to go out. They're all kind of different ways in which you can release. It messes with the defense, and if he can pick it up, man, this whole off, this whole receiving core is going to be is going to be nasty. Yeah, I, I, this one of the things that I actually loved about drafting a CD Lamb is that I do think when you when you look at it, Randall Cobb, although he could play on the outside, I thought he was a much better receiver in the slot. If yeah. you can get receivers that really can do it equally well playing yeah. outside and playing in the slot, it just gives you so many more advantages. And, and so I'm interested to see when we get to training camp how quickly he picks up the offense because that'll yeah. be a part of it. You know, picking up one position is one thing. Picking up a second position or a third position is a whole different thing. So it'll be a lot about how well he can pick it up, how fast he can pick it up, and how effective he can be at all those different positions uh, getting ready for the season. Let's move on to Michael Gallup. Last season he had 66 receptions, 1,107 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, Is he good enough to be the number two option on this team ahead of C.D. Lamb? Is he going to continue to be the number two option on this team, or do you think that C.D. is going to – kind of push him out a little bit based upon what you know of CD and his, his ability level. Let's start with you, Dave. 
I don't, I mean, maybe this is a cop-out. I don't like to think of it as, like, number one, two, and three. Like, I, I mean, I think Michael Gallup is going to keep his job on the outside. I think C.D. Lamb is going, you know, when it's all said and done, they're going to have, like, a 1,000 offensive snaps. I think C.D. will play most of those in the slot. Um, you know, he'll do a little bit of everything, but, like, it'll be 60 70% in the slot, if I had to guess. Um, so, I mean, Gallup technically is still your number two receiver. Um, I think his numbers will go up. I think, you know, I think if he caught 66 balls last year, I think he's got the potential for 70 or more. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think CD's going to, like, take quote-unquote take his job because I think it all intermingles. Like you said, hopefully it's three guys that are all moving into three different positions on a somewhat regular basis. That's what I would love to see. So I don't really like looking at it in terms of a pecking order. Amber. Well, you know what? Uh, we're not going to get to it, but one of the questions that I had from fans was asking, how do you get these receivers to get better at catching the ball? We saw them struggle last year where you saw them dropping the ball many, many times. And I think that, again, maybe, Isaiah, you can speak about that. I don't know how you get better at catching a, simp- a, a ball that is coming towards you, but uh, I, I think that, because of the experience and just him coming back for what is it fourth year now or three this is his third year Gallup right third Gallup third year I mean we've seen him just getting better and better every year so I think that his numbers should be able to go up but he just he he just needs to clean up his game a little bit more and he can be so 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 much better Isaiah yeah, no, to hit on both points, D, uh, I, I agree with you on, uh, on the, the whole pecking order thing. We obviously know who number one is simply because his checkbook defines number one. Uh, so, uh, But as far as the, the, the 2A, 2B, I don't think it really matters. I think... Um, you know, I think you're going to be surprised at how much you probably see Gallup in the slot if I was the offensive coordinator, uh, simply because of his speed, right? The ability if you put him and Cooper on the same side, now all of a sudden that 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 single safety or right, whatever, whether they're too high and that say they're cheating to that one side safety, they're working on one safety either way, uh, single high or too high, they're going to cause problems, and he can get on that safety quick, fast, in a hurry. So they're going to have to make a decision whether they want to stick him or whether they want to stick Coop if they put them on the same side, right? So I think um, they're going to be surprised at how often you see him on the inside. But again, him and CD, they should be very much interchangeable, and it should be an attack by committee, right? Hopefully, that's what we're all asking for. That's all. That's what we're all assuming. But in terms of the whole catching portion, Amber, that you touched on, you know, you know, I hate hate to take shots, man, but you know, Dak wasn't the most accurate cat in the world in the first part of the season. You know, he had a lot of balls that were thrown behind receivers. He had a lot of balls that had too much velocity on them. So there's a lot of things that play a part in uh, receivers' ability to be able to catch the ball. Do they need it? The, the general rule is if it touches your hand, you catch it. Okay, that's well, that's old school, right? But the reality is there's a lot of other factors. You know, the ball being in front of me versus the ball being on my back shoulder, it creates a problem, right? It creates a huge problem. So even though I touched it, even though it touched my body, it's still a very difficult catch. And everybody's going to say, well, you're getting paid enough money to catch it. It's still a difficult catch, right? There's a grown man. There's a grown man pulling on me. There's a ball that's coming hot. It's behind me. My my, my body's going this way, so it's difficult. The guys are going to continue to work on their hands like they always do. They'll get on the on the on the jugs machine or whatever they're utilizing, and they'll get their catches in. Um, but you know, it's not just on them. Dak has to throw a more catchable ball as well. All right, let's move to the tight end position quickly. 
Blake Jarwin, uh, Jason Witten, actually, the last season had 63 catches, 529 yards, four touchdowns. Now, Blake, last season, had 31 catches, 365 yards, and three touchdowns. The question is, is Blake good enough to be better than 19 Witten? That's Ooh. 63 receptions, 529 yards, and four touchdowns. You, you, should, you should probably... You should just probably just say the stats. You shouldn't just say you shouldn't say better than Witten. No, no, no. Yeah, it's probably, probably actually, not a, no, no, probably not. No, no. <laughs> actually, actually, just to be clear, just to be clear, and I stated that question like that specifically because I'm talking in all facets, not necessarily the leadership part. Let's leave that part out. But yeah. In all facets, blocking and being able to go downfield, get open, make catches, score, all those things. Is he a better? Is he going to be able to be a better all-around tight end? than Jason Witten was in 2019. Let's start with you, Isaiah. Mm. I know we're talking about the GOAT. I know. I know it's blasphemous. Go. How old is Witt? 38, 39, something around there? I think he turned 30. Yeah, one one of those. Okay. So it could. he has the potential. We like to use that word. He has the potential to be better than a Witt, but it went stats last year, a 38, 38-year-old Witt. Um, It... Why are you thinking so much? This is a simple answer. This is a trick question. Do you think he's slick on this one? Um, (laughs) It's not a trick question. You just feel uncomfortable answering it. No, it's just, I mean, there's there's so much that comes with being a vet. You know, you talk about the, the top tight ends ever, right? Wits in that conversation for top five, right? So he's so savvy, and his ability to find the niches in, in the defense that's gonna, that's what creates opportunities. It wasn't it was never never was Wits physical stature or his physical skill set that just got him open. It was his savviness, right? So if Jarwin if he can figure that out, then heck yes. If he can't figure that out and figure out you know watch enough film study to find those holes in the defenses and watch old wit and watch Gonzalez and some of these other old school cats, then I don't see it happening, especially with all these weapons. But he should have substantially more one-on-one matchups um, than, than any of the, anybody in recent history has had. Yeah, that's an interesting point because you think about Jason Witt and there were certain moments in games, particularly third down, where teams would try to take him out. I don't think Blake Jarwin is going to be facing that this year. I don't think with all the other offensive weapons, I think a lot of times he's going to be facing one guy. And it's probably not going to be, if it's zone coverage, it's probably not going to be bracket coverage. He's probably going to be in a situation where he has opportunities to get open. And so we're going to get to see. You're right. We're going to get to see how savvy he can be. Amber, you answer the question. (laughs) I think, again, no one can take away everything that Witten has done for the Cowboys. Okay, that's a fact. Great. Now, compared to Witten last year, I have to say, I mean, Witten did not look like himself last year. He was going downhill a little bit. And his he was getting slower. He was dropping balls. Things that you, you are not used to seeing Witten do, he was doing. Now, Blake Jarwin, on the other hand, I feel like he does for sure have the potential to keep going upwards. He We've seen it every time he was able to get more playing time. We saw it two years ago. The, the the how his game just kept getting better the more he was on the field he he just needs to get more chances more opportunities of being out there on the field getting more comfortable just having more time to kind of get loose throughout the game and making the plays that he needs to make but i definitely think he he can have uh, a better year this year and possibly even match what those numbers that you're talking about that Whitney got last year Dave I say this with a tremendous amount of respect for Jason Witten, but like I don't even think it's that tall of a task, to be perfectly honest with you. Jason Witten caught 63 passes last year, 
and finished with 529 yards. That's bad. That's not. That's not good. That's that's eight yards per catch. Um, there, you know, the run after the catch wasn't there. The breaking tackles wasn't there. Amber alluded to it. There were drops at the end of the season. Uh, the particularly egregious one against Philadelphia. I don't. Nobody on the offense came to play that week. It's pretty obvious looking back at it. Um, I just think I think Jarwin represents such a more dynamic option. Like you go look at some of his best plays, his ability to shed tackles, his ability to get yards after the catch. His touchdown against the Giants, he caught the ball at like the 28-yard line and scored. When was the last time Jason Witten did that? And again, it's no disrespect to him, but the guy is nearly 40. He he brings an incredible amount of savvy. He knows how to get open. He knows how to use angles and do all of that. But what do you do once the ball is in your hand? And in a you know in a day and age where space is everything in football, I just think that's so important. Um, and is Jarwin the best blocker in the world? Absolutely not. But Jason Witten hasn't been an above-average blocker probably in the last four or five years of his Cowboy career. He's been fine. Um, but a lot of that, you know, that's reputation more than production, in my opinion. So... I'll gladly take the loss in blocking ability for what I think will be a drastic improvement uh, in receiving. Don't say that, D. Don't say that, D. Don't say that. It's not funny. mm -mm. I'm calling it now. I am calling it now. I think Mm. Blake Jarwin is going to have a fantastic year. I don't don't disagree with that. And I'll say this as well. I mean, don't don't. Don't minimize, don't minimize the ability for a, a, a tight end to get in a three-point stance and tell the tackle what to do. Right? I can't I can't imagine I can't tell you how many times Witt or any other vet that I played around with, Ben Watson, any guys like that, get in a three-point stance and they see something that the other offensive lineman didn't see, especially with this uh this um uh, was it musical chairs we're about to have with the offensive line, and have the ability to be able to put their hand on the ground and say, Hey, this is the move, this is the call right here. We're changing this. Nope, we're not doing this blocking scheme, we're doing this one now. And I that's what I'm talking about. Physically, Jarwin's way ahead of Witt. Listen, like I said, Witt's never been the physical specimen, but but mentally, he was leaps and bounds above almost everybody. It's and that totally will be the fair. Part that we'll get to see as to whether he really is. Yeah, yeah. See if he's really up to that that test that uh, that, that Jason Witten uh, passed so much during his career. All right, we appreciate you guys joining us. We will be back at training camp. We'll be back in July, and uh, we appreciate you guys taking uh, the time with us this offseason, particularly during this quarantine. I know it hasn't always been perfect. The audio is not always great, and sometimes our, our look isn't perfect, but uh, we do appreciate the fact that you guys take time with us and, uh, and spend some time with us to talk some Cowboys football. Uh, I want to say special thanks to our producer, Chris Beam, and uh, until training camp for Amber Garcia, Isaiah Stanback, Dave Hellman, I'm Derek Eagles, and this has been The Break, live on DallasCowboys.com radio. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!